Good morning. Have you noticed when uh, young people are up here, like Carson and Haley, use their cell phones, right? Looking to see what's going on. And then when you get older, you switch to an iPad or a laptop. And some of you are thinking about the laptop that normally sits right here, right? But what if you're even older than that? <laughs> you use paper. Uh, so today we're old school. So uh, what are we talking about today? Uh, it's probably important that I figure that out quick, quickly, right? Just give me a second, I'll catch up. Oh yeah, what matters most? We're talking about the, we're in a series talking about the most important things around here as a church. And uh, I understand a good number of us are fairly new uh, to the church. Uh, Sharon and I still feel kind of new. And when you first connect with an organization, uh, suddenly you, you start to realize that there's unwritten rules, right? This week, I became aware of three important unwritten rules. And I thought I should share them, show you them this morning. In fact, I got them all together on one slide. And here they are, three important unwritten rules. I'll give you a second to catch up, some of you. Are we there yet? <laughs> uh, that was pretty bad, wasn't it? Uh, the, the good point is, from here on, the sermon can only get better. Okay, so we've been talking, as a series, we're talking about uh, the most important things. And we started talking about the mission statement. Our mission statement is, out of a growing love for God and compassion for others, our mission is to be and to make followers of Jesus Christ. Now, if you go through the Bible, you can find lots of support for that. But all, actually, all we need is two scripture passages. The first one is what we call the great commandment. Jesus asked, what's the greatest commandment? Or Jesus was asked, and he says, look at the first half of this statement. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the first phrase in our mission statement, isn't it? The second phrase comes from the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the part about making followers of Christ. And then Jesus says, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And as we obey, we become followers of Jesus. And so our mission statement is very biblical. In fact, if you are, as a, as, if a church is going to be biblical or going to be true to the Bible, they need to have these four things in their mission statement. Because Jesus doesn't ask us to come up with a mission statement. He gives us one. And so through all of time and everywhere around the world, a church needs to have these four things in their mission statement. To love God, to, to uh, love others, to make disciples, and to be a disciple. So we're on good ground with our mission statement. We've also been talking then about our core values. And our core values are important characteristics about us that define who we are and how we behave as people. So today, I have the privilege of talking to you about the thing that Jesus talked about more than anything else. Do you know what he talked about more than anything else? Talked about money talked about money. Jesus talked about money more than anything else. And our value is 
we give generously. We have defined our value as providing resources for God's work in the spirit of his generosity towards us. Now, you might have noticed I said I have the privilege of talking to you about this. Why would I say that when lots of pastor types try to avoid this topic as much as they possibly can? In fact, two people this morning said, why? Why didn't you volunteer to speak on this? Well, here's the deal. If a church faithfully teaches about what Jesus says or the Bible says about giving, and they do it regularly and faithfully without manipulation, after a number of years, and you ask the people who attend to look back over the last number of years and say, when did you grow the most spiritually? You know what people overwhelmingly say? When we talked about money is when I grew the most spiritually. And so that's why I'm excited to talk about this. Why, why, would we say they, why would they say they grow most when we talk about money? I think by the end of this sermon, you're going to understand exactly why. And I also believe that's why Jesus talked about money more than anything else. And so I expect that this next half an hour is going to be very formative for some of us in our spiritual lives. So today we're going to look at part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus teaches about how we should think about money and our possessions. Now, my focus is not going to be, you need to give more money to the church. Rather, I want to focus on questions like this. How does God want me to think about money in general? What should my attitude be toward money? How should I relate my giving to my spending? How much should I spend? How much should I give? Uh, that's what we want to focus on this morning. I want to tell you that my thinking on this has been influenced by Tim Keller. So if you're familiar with him, you might recognize some of this. But to start with, let's read from the Sermon on, on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Uh, I'm going to ask Sharon to come and read for us. Matthew 6, starting with verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. 
If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So as we look at these uh, verses today, we want to look at three things. First of all, the power that money has in our lives. And secondly, why does it have that kind of power? And thirdly, how do we break the power of money in our lives? So first of all, the power that money has in our lives. If you look at that passage that Sharon just read, you have three verses at the beginning that talk about money. It says, do not store up treasures on earth. And then there's two verses that are kind of this strange illustration about the eye being the lamp of the body. And then uh, Jesus goes back to talking about money for the rest of the passage. So you have talk about money, the eye is the lamp of the body, talk about money. What in the world is this eye is the lamp of the body all about? And why is it in the middle of his conversation or his discussion about, uh, about money? Jesus is using an illustration that's kind of hard to understand. Well, the illustration itself isn't all that difficult. It's basically that if your eye doesn't work, if your eye isn't any good, your whole body's going to be in darkness. You're going to be, if your eye doesn't work, you're going to be blind. That's simple enough. But what is that doing in the middle of a conversation about money? What is Jesus saying with it? Now, I think it's a little easier to understand if we go over to the Gospel of Luke, where there's a parable account, Luke chapters 11 and 12, and you see halfway through chapter 11, Jesus starts with this eye illustration, that the eye is the lamp of the body. And then in chapter 12, he goes on to say, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then Jesus goes on to repeat a lot of what we read in Matthew chapter 6. Now, I believe what Jesus is saying with this eye illustration is that greed and materialism have the effect of blinding us spiritually, of distorting the way we see things. Greed and materialism has power over the way we see everything. Let me give you a few examples. First, we can be blinded to materialism. No, one's, no one thinks that they are materialistic or greedy because we all know somebody down the street who's more greedy than we are. And so they become the standard. They're greedy and we're not. But greed is different than other kinds of sins. It's an eye sin. We are blinded to it. Jesus doesn't say of other sins, watch out that you might be committing them. For example, he doesn't say, be on your guard against adultery. Why? Because people who are committing adultery know that they're doing it. Nobody says, oh, you're not my wife. <laughs> but Jesus does say, watch out, you might be greedy. Because greed hides itself. We don't consider that we might be greedy. So this morning, if you're saying, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not greedy. 
That's really not a good sign, is it? Because greed is, the, is one of the sins that always says, it's not true of me. Greed has the power to stop us from asking the questions we should. We don't ask, do I really need to buy this? Do I really need to spend this much money on myself? We compare ourselves to others and we don't ask. Some of us here have likely chosen a job, not because it's a good fit for us, but because it made a lot of money. And initially, the money was good, but now the whole situation isn't good, and we are blinded to it. Many companies are making a lot of money, or help, uh, but they're, they're hurting their neighborhoods. And those who work for them, the, the company isn't asking the hard questions that they need to ask. I know a company that makes a lot of money, and as a result, they give a lot of money to missions and to churches. And everybody's going, oh, good company, good company. But the people who own that company and the churches and missions that are, are receiving the money from them aren't asking the hard question of, how are they treating their employees? They're underpaying their employees, and so that giving is on the backs of their workers. My guess is they'd be way better off paying their employees more, even if it meant giving less to missions. We don't ask. We don't ask, should I be, give, be giving more to, of my money away to the church, to the poor, to my friends? I could be a lot more generous if I made these changes in my life. But we don't ask. When I was in seminary, one of my professors, a guy named J.B. Taves, told a story about the church back in Russia. And I have to tell you, I didn't really quite understand or appreciate the story when he first told it. But I noticed he... He didn't think this was a negative story. He thought it was a positive story. Here's what the story was. It was about a shopkeeper who sold apples by the kilogram. And a poor widow lady came in. She wanted to buy one kilogram of apples. But no matter how he sorted the apples that day, he couldn't get it to weigh exactly one kilogram. Either a little bit too much or a little bit too low. So finally, what he did is he cut an apple in half. And she took home three and a half apples. And for that, the church put him under discipline. Now, you might be wondering, where is Russ going with this story? Well, where I'm going is this. That church understood something we tend to forget. And that is, they knew that greed is the sin we can't see in ourselves. When we're committing adultery, we know it. But when we're being greedy, we have no idea. I'm sure that shopkeeper had all kinds of explanations, reasonable arguments as to why it made sense to cut an apple in half. But in reality, all it was was his greed. Now, when do we ever get a group of friends together and say, let's talk about how we spend our money, how we spend money on ourselves, how much we are giving away, how much we're keeping? Who have you authorized to ask those kind of questions in your life? The principle here is you can't trust yourself to decide. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's the same thing I'm thinking. Three things. I don't want to think about this. I don't want to ask my, myself these questions. And for sure, I don't want to have somebody else ask me these things. 
But that's Jesus' whole point, isn't it? Money has the power to stop us from asking the questions we should about how we make our money, how we spend our money. Money has the power to stop you from asking the hard questions in life. So that brings us to the second point, and that is why. So money has the power to blind us spiritually, to distort the way we see things. So my next question is why? Why does money have that power over us? And Jesus gives us the answer in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What this means is that the place where your heart really rests is revealed to us by money. Your money will naturally flow to where your heart is. For example, for some of us, money is the way we get significance. One of the reasons we need to have so much money, why, we ha- are, why it's so hard for us to give it away, why we need to spend so much on ourselves, is because money is our significance. The fact that we can eat in certain restaurants, drive a certain kind of car, live in a certain house, wear certain clothes, go on certain vacations. All of this makes us feel important. And the higher we become economically, the more we look down on others and say, you're below me. And you don't have to have very much to do that. Middle-class people in general look down on poor people. And there's no good reason for that. If you started in the same place they did, born into the same family, same parents, same circumstances, do you really think you'd be any better off than where they are? I'm not convinced. We feel we are better. Why? Because money is our significance. Others use money as their security. Having money makes them feel safe. Now, if you're not giving your money away in eye-popping proportions... If you find it difficult, if you are not so radically generous that the world takes notice, why? Why does money and possessions have that power in your life? One answer is money is our significance. The other is money is our security. If money is your security, you feel if I have money, I will have control in this uncontrollable world. I have control over my life. If trouble comes, I'll be safe. But Jesus says, running after these things won't add one single minute to your life. It's God who is in control, and guess what? Money doesn't turn us into God. I grew up poor. At least my parents gave us the impression that we grew up poor. poor. I, I'm kind of questioning how poor we really were. But my parents worked hard to get ahead, and so they trained us. Money is your security. The power that money seems to have, or the power money has is it seems to give us significance and security. But Jesus disputes all of that. And so that brings us to the third point is, how do we break the power of money in our lives? How do you get to the place where you are radically generous? The place where you're not worried about money anymore? to the place where you're not controlled by the money. Verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus says, don't treasure earthly treasures, but treasure heavenly ones. Everyone at the center of their soul has something they treasure. What does it mean to treasure something? It means to fill your heart with the beauty and value of it. It means to say, if I have this one thing, then everything is worth it. I'm worth it. Everyone has something they treasure. Money, career, family, status. And we look at it and we say, if I have this one thing, it's all worth it. We all have something we treasure. Many of us would be familiar with the character Gollum in the Lord of the Rings, right? He treasures this ring. He calls it his precious. He actually becomes enslaved to trying to possess his precious. In the story, Tolkien is showing us that what happens when we treasure something. It it becomes our precious. And whatever it is, we become enslaved to it. Once your soul treasures something, you will do anything. You will pay any price to get for it, to get it because it's the one thing that is worth it. It's the only thing that is worth it. The Bible says anything that, uh, that becomes our precious will enslave us. Anything but Jesus that we make our precious will insist that you die for it. But Jesus is the one who died for us to purchase us. Anything you make your supreme value will say, die for me. But when we make Jesus our supreme value, he says, I died for you. Only if we make Jesus our treasure will we be free from money. Now, how do we make Jesus our treasure? Think about what Jesus did with his treasure. What was his treasure? He, He had the ultimate treasure, the son of God, ultimate status, king of kings and lord of lords, ultimate status, ultimate security. And yet what happened when he came to earth and he was nailed to the cross? He was stripped of everything, even his clothes. He lost everything. He had nothing left. Why? Because he was dying for something. You only die for that which is your precious. That means that when Jesus looked at us and he said, if I have them, everything is worth it. If I have them, even going to hell is worth it. That's how precious you are to Jesus. If I only have them. Isaiah 53 verse 11 says that when he saw the results of his suffering, he was satisfied. When you realize that he was willing to lose his treasure so that you could become his treasure, that he feels that way about you, When you see this and understand it, it frees you from money. It frees you from everything. Money will no longer be your significance or your security. Now, here's what I mean by freed from money. Three simple tests that we can look at ourselves with that show us if we are free from money. So here we go. First one. How do you feel about rich people? Many people resent rich people, disdain them, look at them and all their stuff and feel superior to them. And that shows that money still has power over us. 
If you dislike rich people simply because they're rich, if you feel superior to them, it shows money still has power over you. It shows a lack of spiritual wealth. It shows a lack of humility. If, on the other hand, you envy rich people, it also shows that money still has power over you. If a rich person wants to hang out with you and wants to spend time with you and you're all thrilled, I get to enjoy his stuff and it's so cool. It's so cool that this guy wants to connect with me. That envy shows that money still has power over you. You see, the gospel is you're more sinful than you ever dared to believe. And yet at the same time, you are more loved than you could ever possibly hope for. More sinful to realize that keeps you from feeling superior to others, including rich people. More love keeps you feeling inferior to anyone. Therefore, the gospel puts you in a place where you don't care about money anymore. And so one way to tell if money no longer has power over you is can you love rich people? The second way you can tell money doesn't have power over you is you start to respect poor people. You look at them and you love them. You know you can learn from them. You know you can uh, get something from them. They can enrich you. You don't look down at them. You love poor people. And the third part of the test is you get really generous. Look again at verse 22. It says, if your eye are good, or the translation we read, if your eye is healthy. The word that's used there, the Greek word, is actually a word that has a double meaning. It can mean good or healthy, but it can also mean generous. If your eyes are generous, your whole body will be full of light. Any Christian that is really freed from money by making Jesus their treasure will get a generous eye. That person is always looking for opportunities to give. You're looking to your friends, to your neighbors, to the poor, to your city, to your church, and you're looking for ways to give. Looking for ways to give things away. You want to say, well, how much, Russ? How much should I give? People always want to ask me, that. how much? How much should I give? Well, you have to look at what Jesus did. When Jesus treasured you, he treasured you sacrificially. He sacrificed. Our value says we, pro- we value providing resources for God's work in the spirit of his generosity towards us. Now, if you want to respond to Jesus the way Jesus responded to you, that means you need to live out the cross of Christ, not only in your relationships, but also in your economics. Most Christians say, well, I'm a Christian, and I know that uh, Christ loved me, sacrificed for me, and so I need to love other people sacrificially. He loved me, and so I therefore love them. But it also means that we are to give enough money away that it sacrifices our lifestyle. That there's a cross in our economics. If you give money away, but it doesn't really cut into the way you live, there's no sacrifice. There's no cross in economic life. 
if you don't give money away that it really makes a difference in how you live, then there's no cross and you're not responding to Jesus the way he responded to you. Now, throughout world history, for most people in most places, the tithe was the goal. Why? On the one hand, 10% doesn't seem like much, does it? Jesus didn't just tithe his blood. He gave it all. 10% by comparison isn't much. But for many people, the tithe is sacrificial. 10% cuts into their lifestyle. But increasingly, there are people who can give 10% and it doesn't really sacrifice much of anything. You see, 10% isn't the point. It's just a rule of thumb. It's just a good place to start. The cross is the standard. And so the question for us is, is there a cross in our life? Is there a cross in our economic life? Now, sermons about money often come across as God or Jesus or the church wants your money. And that's why people get their shorts on a knot when they hear sermons about money. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus doesn't want your money. Jesus doesn't want your money. Oh no, that's not nearly enough. Jesus doesn't want your money. He wants you. He wants you to come to the place where he is your treasure. So that where he is, your heart will be also. You see, your money is going to naturally flow. You, you, can, you can hardly stop it. Your money is going to flow to where your heart is. If Jesus truly is your treasure, you will see these three signs in your life. You're going to love rich people. You will not feel superior to them. You won't envy them. Secondly, you're going to love poor people. You will value and you will respect them. And then thirdly, you're going to be giving your money away joyfully, deliberately. The money is just going to flow. Because where your heart is, that's where it goes. Let's pray. Father, we know that uh, these words are challenging. But when we think of what you did for us, there's a huge challenge there. You sacrificed. Give us the courage. Father, we, we want to make you our treasure. But we admit to you that's hard. Give us the courage to treasure you. I pray this now in the name of Christ. Amen.